Duly Noted, a health and care podcast, is the official podcast series of Duly Health and Care. Each podcast features physicians or team members discussing groundbreaking topics and innovations that help listeners reimagine and better understand an extraordinary health and care experience. Welcome to another episode of Duly Noted, the official podcast of Duly Health and Care. I'm Cheryl Martin. According to a recent study by the American Cancer Society, colorectal cancer in people under age 50 is up by about 50% since the mid-90s. Joining me is gastroenterologist Dr. Jenny Ng to talk about why colorectal cancer is increasing in the Gen X, Millennials, and Gen Z populations. She'll also share some tips for preventing it. Dr. Ng, welcome. So glad you're on. Good morning. Thank you for having me. First of all, please share any insights on the shift we're seeing. For example, here in the U.S., overall cases of colon and rectal cancer are down, but they're on the rise for younger adults, and they're also being diagnosed more frequently at an advanced stage of the disease. Your thoughts on that? Well, for sure. We know colon cancer is the third most commonly diagnosed cancer in males, second in females, and we have seen that rise between 1995 to 2019. The American Cancer Society reported an 11 to 20 percent increase in the diagnosis of colon cancer in patients under the age of 55. So that was unprecedented. Over 86% of them are symptomatic. And so we know that this is not a result of us doing screening earlier. This is actual real pathology. In terms of why, the reasons are likely multifactorial. We know that there are genetic influences, definitely some contribution from changes in the environment and lifestyle measures. And a lot of that is being studied right now. So is there a way to determine if you're at a higher risk for colorectal cancer? For sure. Known risk factors that we always address will be a known family history of colon cancer or adenomatous polyps in a first-degree relative, a history of smoking, somebody with inflammatory bowel disease such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, even history of you know abdominal radiation therapy as a young child. Those are all known risk factors for colon cancer. But then in the United States, up to 35% of these young adult cancers are also associated with some sort of genetic syndrome, like hereditary colorectal cancer syndrome, Lynch syndrome, familial adenomatous polyposis. Those are all different ones that are caused by genetic mutations in certain genes or mismatch repair genes and lead to an increased risk of cancer, not only in colon, but also endometrial, ovarian, stomach, and whole other plethora of cancers. So when we have a patient who comes in and is diagnosed at a young age, we also recommend genetic testing. I know you mentioned genetics is a key factor. So what steps can a person take to lower the risk for colorectal cancer? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is live as healthy a lifestyle as you can. And second is to really tell your doctor when you develop symptoms, such as blood in your stool, changes in your bowel habits, unexplained weight loss, new onset of abdominal pain, or even new diagnosis of anemia. I think those are all what I call red flags that prompt your doctor to then look into things a little bit more quickly and a little more, a little sooner to make sure that nothing is going on. And the best thing you can do is to get screened, find a way to be able to be evaluated because early detection is key. What about this younger population when I still believe that doctors are saying get your first colonoscopy at age 50? Should they go in and get one younger than that? 
Well, starting in 2018, the American Cancer Society and in 2021, the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force, including the American College of Gastroenterology, have all lowered the initial screening recommendation down to the age of 45 for all adults of average risk. And talk again about why this is so critical. Again, early detection is key. Colon cancer, the way that I explain it to my patients, is good and bad. It's great because it is a cancer that can be beat. If we catch it in an early stage, it is so easy to get rid of, to treat. But if you wait until you develop some of those symptoms that I mentioned before, sometimes by that time it's too late. And then you're looking at having to undergo chemotherapy, going through surgery. It becomes just so much harder to tackle. So in essence, getting a colonoscopy can actually prevent cancer as well as determine if you have cancer. Yes, a lot of people wonder about that. How can it prevent and determine if you have cancer? And that's the beauty about a colonoscopy is compared to other screening modalities, it can actually do both. Because the goal of a colonoscopy is to find the cancer in its beginning stages. And colon cancer starts in the form of a little pop, a small little bump in the colon that grows over time. And during that time, it changes. There's these epithelial changes that change from normal cells to cancer cells. So during that time frame, if we are able to get rid of the polyp and we're able to get, go in there and completely remove it, you've basically gotten rid of the cancer and prevented any chance of any cancer developing from that polyp. That is great. Now, would you walk us through the prep and procedure process to help put a potential patient's mind at ease? Sure. I'll go through what I usually go through with my patients then. So um, the colonoscopy, first and foremost, for all intended purposes for you to know, is a procedure done under sedation. So most patients are relieved once they hear that. But it is a procedure in which I use a small rubber scope. It's about the size of my index finger, and it's got a light and a lens at the very end of it. With that scope, I evaluate the colon, which is just the path that food comes out, that's all that we're looking at. We're not doing surgery. I'm not looking at other organs or anything. The colon is shaped like a question mark. It starts in your right side of your belly, and it moves over across your belly and down into the rectum. That's the area that we're looking at. So what we use is we give you some medicine, help you go to sleep, use the scope to go in through the rectum, and get up to the top of the colon. And on our way back, we take a look to see how healthy that colon lumen is. If we see any pus, we'll get rid of them at the same time. If we see anything suspicious, we can do biopsies. We can evaluate a whole plethora of things. The whole process takes probably 15 to 20 minutes. Afterwards, you wake up, you get to go home. It's not an overnight procedure. And then depending on the pathology results, then we can determine when you need to have your next colonoscopy. Now, what is the difference between a preventive and a diagnostic colonoscopy? For the patient, it's the same thing. It's the same test, it's the same prep, it's the same sedation. But as a physician, it really is defined by the reason that we're doing the test. So a screening or preventive colonoscopy is one that is done solely because the patient has reached the age required for screening. So it's equivalent to meeting a mammogram when you hit a certain age, when you prostate evaluation, you know, things like that. Just because you've hit a certain age and you know that your risk has gone up, you do that test. A diagnostic colonoscopy is a colonoscopy that we do for a patient who has come in for certain symptoms. So the patient comes in for some rectal bleeding or changes in bowel habits, weight loss, abdominal pain, something that we don't know why. Then we're doing a colonoscopy to try to find the reason or to try to find an answer to their symptoms. 
When you mention changes in bowel habits, give me an example of a change that one should be aware of. So I would think of it this way. When you think of your colon, it's almost like your plumbing system, right? Things are kind of going through and passing through. So think of it like your sink. As things kind of get blocked up, things slow down. You can't get everything through. Sometimes things move slow down to a trickle. So symptoms that are typical of colon cancer can be a change in bowel habits, such as somebody also not being able to go as often or as frequently or having difficulty going. We think about the stool having difficulty passing, so it could be constipation. And even at higher levels of colon cancer, it changes to diarrhea because it's no longer able to pass the solid stool, and now you're passing just the liquid. So something that's a dramatic change in your bowel habits from your usual norm. Other symptoms could be changing bowel habits, but all of a sudden now you're passing blood or you're seeing more mucus in your stools or you're having more cramping every time you go. Those are all things that would concern me. Great. Now, if a patient is hesitant or unsure about getting a colonoscopy, what do you recommend? Well, first and foremost, I would recommend talking to your primary care physician or to your gastroenterologist to make sure that your specific concerns are addressed. And that way you're making a good informed decision. And even though, you know, the colonoscopy is the gold standard, it's the best screening option recommended by most expert groups, there are other screening tests available. There are stool tests. Some people may have heard of the FIT test or the Cologuard test, and those are looking at maybe stool DNA or evidence of blood in the stool that might indicate that there's a polyp or colon cancer. They're not as they're not as sensitive and specific as a colonoscopy, but they do check for those things. Some of my patients ask for a CT scan, a CT colonoscopy, and it is better than a stool test, but it still requires you to do a bowel prep, which is something that people really don't like doing. And it can be dependent on the machine itself and the technique and the radiologist reading it. And ultimately, if any of these alternative tests are positive, you're going to need a colonoscopy. But basically, in my mind, the best screening test is one that the patient is willing to follow through with. So if they absolutely are hesitant with doing colonoscopy, I would still recommend that they get checked in another way just to make sure that they are looked at. Now, have you experienced other barriers that patients share that prevent them from getting a colonoscopy? Yes, I think the main barriers that come to mind when I think about my patients would be not really fully understanding the purpose of the test or how it's done, being fearful of the prep, being scared of stories that they hear of risks or things that gone wrong or went poorly for other people. And then there's also barriers, including availability to a colonoscopy and unfortunately cost. Those are all things that come into mind. And what answers do you provide? In terms of the purpose of the test, I think we talked about why it's important to be evaluated. And I want patients to know that I don't want them to wait until they have symptoms because sometimes by that time, it's a lot, it's a lot harder to treat. I try to go through with them, like we discussed, uh, the process of the test so they know what to expect when they come in, so that way it's not so scary. Risks, alternatives, and benefits, we talked about alternative testing. We talked about the benefits. And risks, the main ones that I really do try to have my patients understand are three things, the risk of bleeding, perforation, and sedation. The risk of bleeding is actually pretty low. I think it's 1% to 2%. It can sometimes be higher if somebody's on certain medications that increase their risk of bleeding. But I try to have patients understand that the bleeding is almost like when we take a little polyp up, it's almost like a paper cut, you know, a small little drop of blood. If there's anything more, we have different modalities through the scope that we can use to stop the bleeding. 
Risk of a perforation is one people always ask me about. They're scared about a tear that can happen in the side of the colon. And I try to remind them the colon wall, even though it's thin, is really strong. And the risk of perforation usually goes up when there's something there that's inherently compromising the integrity of the colon wall. So regular colonoscopy, for the most part, the risk of perforation is pretty low. It's one in 1,000. And for a therapeutic, meaning we're doing something for a reason, and then for a routine screening, it's a one in 1,400. So pretty low. And then the risk of sedation, like we discussed, the sedation itself is light, conscious, moderate sedation. We're not putting anybody on a ventilator to support their life or anything. It's Some people even do this procedure without sedation. So it's very light. It's just in twilight. So that way it makes people comfortable. And we always have them on monitors to make sure their breathing and oxygen levels are fine during the test. So I try to address those things so then that way they have a clearer picture of what to expect and it's not such a scary, unknown procedure that they're heading into. This has been very, very comprehensive. Thank you so much, Dr. Jenny Ng, for sharing not only your time but your expertise on this vital topic, colorectal cancer. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. If you'd like to learn more, visit Dooley.com slash colonoscopy. That's Dooley.com slash colonoscopy. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the full podcast library for other topics of interest to you. This is Duly Noted, a podcast from Duly Health and Care. Thanks for listening.